Welcome to The Commentary, a weekly conversation about vision, worship, and life at Grace Presbyterian Church. I'm Mark Bertrand, the pastor of Grace, and my fellow commenter in today's episode is Cameron Brooks. Together, Cameron and I will talk about the revolution in Bible design over the past decade or so, and how the small part that I've played in that story landed me on the cover of Bible Study Magazine. Well, usually on the commentary, I have the pleasure of speaking with Pastor Mark, but I I think this episode, I get the pleasure of speaking with typographer Mark. And we had a, an episode of um, a few weeks ago that was all about Bible design. We're going to return to that because Mark was recently featured in an issue of Bible Study Magazine in which they interviewed him on this very topic, Bible design. Mark, I loved reading through the things that you had to say. It was really fun to, to watch the full interview as well that you did with with. Bible Study Magazine. I'm curious if you could just talk a little bit about what this experience was like. I, I should mention, for those who hasn't, haven't seen the issue, Mark is on the, the front cover too as well. So, so this is a big deal. But you had a nice, a nice um, section here where you talked about some of the things we talked about a few weeks ago that listeners will be familiar with. What was this process like, though, interviewing? Did you learn anything new or was it just kind of bringing up old information for you? I feel like I'm always learning new stuff about this. You know, I, I, I'm not an expert on Bible design. I'm more of a, like a passionate amateur, you know, just, Mm. just in love with design and in love with the Bible and, and always interested in, in what's happening in that world. And so Mark Ward, who wrote the article has been interested in Bible typography and design for years. And so I've been familiar with, with, his writing on this and we'd been in touch before. And so he's working with Bible study magazine, which faith life puts out. And of course, faith life is, is connected with uh, the Lagos um, Bible software, yeah. you know, that, so they, they do uh, software. If you look at their, you know, top Bibles in, in every edition, they, they even have their own translation and, you know, that software is available for free. And so, uh, even though their focus is on software, inevitably, as a publisher, they've also gotten into print and, oh, yeah. and have done great stuff in print. Yeah, they brought a lot of wonderful stuff into print. And so it was fun to be able to have that conversation. And, you know, he picked my brain a little bit, just my thoughts on on the the revolution in Bible design that we've seen over the last 10 years or so. And it was just fun also to, to kind of glean from him sort of his experiences and and how they saw things, looking at it from from uh, a perspective where they're really interested, obviously, in, in let's say, like the Bible of the future and, mm. and the, the, the technologically sophisticated Bible software, but at the same time have this love and appreciation for the printed Bible too. Well, I certainly encourage listeners to go check out the article and also to listen to, if they have in that episode that we, we put out a few weeks ago, where you, I think you elaborated some more on these topics. I wanted to talk in this episode, though, about maybe where you see the future, you just mentioned, the future of Bible design. Because I think you're you're right, and you've participated in this, this 
revolution in Bible design in the last, I don't know how many years, what do you say, decade or? Yeah, I mean, I, I started writing about Bibles a long time ago, but I started the blog in 2007, and that was after having written about them for, I don't know, a number of years. And uh, when my book, Rethinking Worldview, came out, I just thought, oh, I'm going to move all this content onto its own blog yeah. and, and thought, you know, maybe, you know, a, a few people will discover it. And then it it, it took off, you know, yeah. and, and became this huge thing. And so, um yeah. So I always think like, you know, it's been like 10 years, but mm -hmm. I guess it's been a little bit longer than that. <laughs> well, I was, I was reading through some of the YouTube comments in this interview and many people were excited to not only hear from you, but to hear from what, hear about what you might be doing next. So I'm curious if, if you have any thoughts about two things, one would just be the future of Bible design. Generally, we seem to have come a long ways in the last 10, 15 years, but also maybe the future of your Bible design blog in general. Sure. Do you have any ambitions or dreams? Well, let me, yeah, I'll start with this second question first. Um, you know, I, I have always been, I guess, an occasional blogger. Like I've never been like a daily updater, but uh, I think the last thing I, I posted was in 2019. And so it's been a while and I've been, pretty busy and, and pretty distracted, but I, I have the intention to go back and, and to make periodic updates as I'm able to, as I have time uh, to do that. And also um, I'd say maybe uh, like another thing about that is I, I was never, I was never about just producing content for the sake of producing content. Like I wanted to have things to say. Mm -hmm. and, and so I think that the benefit of that is that, that if you go to Bible design blog like it, it does more than just sort of weigh in on, you know, like, like let's review whatever is available for sale today. You know, that there's, it's a little more selective than that, you know, and I'm choosing to write about things that I think can help in a larger sense, develop an appreciation for what, what a good readable Bible can be. And so, you know, very rarely would I, spend the enormous amount of time necessary to write about something that I didn't feel contributed mm -hmm. to that. And so, um, you know, there are other great blogs out there that have taken more of a, you know, let's review everything that's out there approach and all that. And, and mine has always been much more narrowly focused. And, and so I think it doesn't, it doesn't require the constant update mm -hmm. given its mission. And yet, yeah, really sorry about <laughs> that it's been so long. I do, you know, I, I'll get email from people saying, are you okay? You know, is there something we can do to help and all that? And and all I can say is, you know, that I have a lot of uh, responsibilities that, mm -hmm. that I have to fulfill. Bible design blog was never something that, that really uh, could support itself. You know, right. I couldn't justify uh, making it a full-time job or anything. I'm not savvy enough in the in the the ways of monetization to figure that out. And, and so it was always a labor of love and I still love it deeply. And my hope for the future is not only to write more about Bibles, but, but I'd, I'd really love to see myself involved more in the production of Bibles, at least in a, in a really selective way uh, with, with, you know, projects that reflect more my vision. Um, I think a lot of the things that I've 
encouraged and sort of advocated for over the years, we do see happening. And so that's wonderful, but there's still that, that itch I have to kind of do like the, the thing I feel like is missing. And so I hope to have that opportunity at some point. And, um, are you able to share what you, what you think is missing at this point or, I mean, in, in one sense I've shared it, you know, in every sentence of, of the blog, but in another, it's, um, it's not shareable until it's doable, if that makes sense. And, and part of that is just because it's, um, I mean, these are things I want to do, but, but also part of it is, is that it involves a process of discovery. So there are, sort of dreams that I have ambitions I have that, that also uh, would require like figuring out what's feasible, like what can be done now? Because even though we are definitely living in a golden age of Bible design, when it comes to production, we do still face some challenges. There are things that used to be possible that are not as possible any longer. And so there are challenges associated especially with the production side that, that still need to be overcome. And so, yeah, so it's, it's just this, you know, I, I hope by God's grace to have the opportunity to kind of dive into that and tackle some of that stuff. And if that happens, then you'll definitely hear more from me on that front. But until those doors are opened, you know, it's, it's all, uh, dreams. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I know you have written about, I noticed on the blog, and that we haven't talked about here is annotating in Bibles. So when I think about your classic study Bible, your student Bible, you know, you've got seven colors of highlighters and, and some some Bible classes that I took taught us all these symbols and ways to write and take notes in, in our Bibles. And I feel like for whatever reason, since I've picked up readers bibles i've stopped that i you know i'll maybe underline something if it stands out to me but there seems to be at least in my experience a a shift away from that really intensive annotation and yet it's not like i don't i don't think it's invaluable or, or something i'm curious if you could just share what are your thoughts on on annotation especially as it relates to this whole conversation about design you know one of the things when i first started using the esv which was when it first came out in 2001 that really frustrated me was that it wasn't a wide margin edition Mm. because at that time I had a heavily annotated wide margin Cambridge Bible and, and I didn't understand how I was expected to use a translation that didn't have a wide margin available. Now, the more I reflected on what makes a good wide margin, the question became complicated because most of these text settings were double column and you'd have you know, one wide margin on the end, and it was easy to annotate stuff on the outer column, but the inner column, you couldn't really <laughs> annotate. And so I realized over time that that a wide margin also ha- has to be a single column to really work the way I want to use it. And mm-hmm. so there were, by that time, wide margin ESVs available, and, and uh, but they weren't single column. And, you know, so, so it was, there was always for me, this development, like this development of understanding. And, and what I discovered though, is my way of using the text and in relating to it had also started changing as well. And so where I used to be one of those people who, who wrote a lot 
in the margins and around the margins and did the underlining and that sort of thing. Um, I sort of went through this different phase and I'm much more likely now to copy things out and, and do all of that stuff in a separate notebook or journal or something, which it's not as convenient because, you know, with the wide margin, you've always got those notes there. You know, the annotations are always at your fingertips, but it is more convenient in the sense that you've got a lot more room and, and kind of can do more. And, and also, you know, Bible paper is, is pretty, uh, even the best stuff we have available now is pretty picky when it comes to what you can use to write on it. Yeah. And um, I wasn't one of those people, you know, at least until recently, who who could solve the problem by just using a pencil because I always thought, no, no, adults <laughs> write with pen. Uh, now I've kind of embraced the pencil in a big way. And so a lot of those problems have, have uh, subsided. But uh, Bible paper can react very badly to a lot of different writing instruments. And so if you go on Bible Design Blog and you kind of look at what I've written about annotation, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, like what kind of ink can Bible paper stand up to? And so a lot of people will use the Pigma Micron archival pens, which are fantastic. Uh, Although again, depending on the paper, even that might bleed through. But, um, you know, if you test a little bit, you can find things that'll work. And so I've never been too systematic about anything. And so I'm not one of those people that has like a elaborate system and, and the idea of highlighting 20 different colors for different themes just drives me nuts, you know? And, and I will say in my defense, like, like nothing against that. And if, if that's the way your brain works, that it's wonderful that you can do that. But, um, as a student of literature, that was never the way I related to books. And it was never the way that, that we, you know, studied them in the classroom, you know? And so that experience of studying literature has really shaped a lot of the way I think about studying scripture. And as a result, I'm not as committed to, you know, needing verse numbers and, and notations and stuff like that, because when we would study literature, those things are rarely present. You know, maybe if you had a critical edition of you know, Chaucer, you might have, you know, words defined yeah. in the notes and you might have all of that sort of critical apparatus. But, but for the most part, you became familiar with the books that you love through reading and rereading. You would kind of remember, oh yeah, this is the thing that happens in that chapter. I I think I remember it's on like the left-hand side of the page, maybe (laughs) halfway down. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's a different way of relating to those texts. And I have self-consciously tried to emulate that as much as possible with the way I relate to the Bible. And so, you know, for me, writing in a Bible now would look a lot more like writing in a book than it would sort of try to turn it into some kind of uh, multicolor map of the content of the text. Yeah, I've, I've had a similar experience where when I read poetry or novels, I don't even have a, a pen or pencil near me because I, I, don't, I don't think about annotating anything. But when I read... Sometimes when I read nonfiction or, or philosophy or theology, I, I do. I like to have a, a pencil in hand because I expect something of the text. I, I expect it to be teaching me something. And maybe that's a reminder that something similar is going on 
with scripture too, where when you're reading, say, an Old Testament narrative, I'm I'm generally not sitting there with a pencil in hand. I'm reading, I'm soaking it all in. But if I'm reading a an epistle from Paul, I might be reading more slowly, right? Dissecting the argument, the propositions. Well, and then the problem is what doesn't get underlined. Yeah, you know, I mean that that was also my yeah. dilemma. Is is you know, at a certain point, you have to stop highlighting everything, you know, because just page after page of highlighting is <laughs> is is not, you know, it, 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 there's no emphasis if everything is emphasized. And so I think that's the, the challenge there as well that, it, you know, I would find as I would go over something and back over something that what I would want to call out changed, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so it's, um, I mean, you can go to extremes. I know there are people who have different Bibles for different kinds of annotation, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, I think, especially now, you know, we've talked about this in the commentary before, if you're doing book studies, you know, getting a scripture journal where you've got the, the note paper on one side and the text on the other is a great way to do that. So that like, as I'm preaching through the gospel of Matthew now, you can have a scripture journal copy of Matthew and you can take notes on sermons, on your own readings and that sort of thing. But you're not forced forever after whenever you open up to the book of Matthew to see, you know, that you were skeptical about something I said in Matthew yeah. four and you wrote a little <laughs> note down, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to, to have those tools. And I think I prefer having the more specialized option instead of trying to do all of that in the Bible that I use to read, mm-hmm. you know? And so for me, I've become more of a, I, I all have different Bibles for different purposes, and when I write in them, uh, which, which I don't do nearly as much as, as I used to, it, it'll have a much less, um, have a much, let's say like more focused intent to it, you know, like, like it's, uh, I think especially, you know, as a preacher or a teacher, it makes a lot of sense to have a wide margin edition or, or any kind of Bible you've got room to write in and like, you can put notes for like outlines and stuff like that. If you, there's sermons you preach from certain texts or whatever that makes so much sense to have that readily available. But for the Bible that you're kind of going back through over and over again, um, that maybe isn't as helpful, yeah. you know, have you ever had to get rid of a Bible? Is, is that something that you can do and how, how do you do that? <laughs> yeah. So, um, if we were to go down into the vault where all of my Bibles are, are stored, the ones that aren't stacked on the desk here, um, you would discover that I have pretty much every Bible that I've ever owned, uh, apart from the ones I've given away. Um, I still have, you know, the ones I had as a kid. Um, I've had to change Bibles. I've had to stop using Bibles and, and, oftentimes because of things I wrote in them. So there were, you know, some, some lapses of judgment during the teen years where this is during the cold war. And, you know, when I came across the passage where the early Christians are selling everything they have and pooling their resources, I I wrote this sort of, you know, mock outrage commies in the, (laughs) in the margin. And, and I, that's the Bible I ended up taking to college with me. And I remember, in a chapel service, having to open to that passage and being super self-conscious and hoping nobody looked over my shoulder and saw this 
juvenile <laughs> annotation. And so I was like, hmm, I need a new Bible. Right. But, so what um, do you do with that? But Bible I do then? still have it. Okay. No, I have it. Yeah. I, I could, I could pull it out and show you, although I won't. <laughs> but, um, but no, and then for me, especially because I've been writing about Bibles for so long, having this, this huge sort of archive of different editions has been really helpful to go back and look at and, and kind of think about, you know, what they did well and what they did poorly and, and all of that. So, you know, the design of Bibles today is so much better. Um, we have the technology now to do new type settings much more easily than they could do in the past. And that's given us the freedom to do more reader friendly designs. But if you go back and you look at older Bibles, you will be surprised how much better the paper is, even in the cheap ones, you know, that, that somehow this razor thin Bible paper is opaque in a way that, that, you know, today's paper, it looks like, you know, it's got a five o'clock shadow, you know, <laughs> it shaved this morning, but it's got a heavy beard and, and, uh, you know, that there's just something about the, the, the loss of the physical capability as Bible publishing has become like rarer, more specialized, more consolidated, and the, the materials have changed and access to those things has changed, um, that you kind of want to take today's designs and then travel back in time to the production abilities of yesteryear, yeah. you know? Which, in a way, I think is the, that is the future. That for physical Bibles, recapturing more and more of the craftsmanship, the um, artisan qualities of older print editions is, is really what we want to try to do. You know, if we can start making paper in a way that is, you know, compatible with 21st century values, but, but making paper that, that performs more like the paper of old has that opacity and, and is, is, than India paper, that sort of thing, that um, we will recapture more of the, let's say, like the tactile qualities of those editions, which, um, like I say, like our modern efforts are are fantastic on the level of design, depending on what you're looking at. But when it comes to the, the way they're put together, the way that they're made, the way that they feel in the hand, in a lot of ways, they fall short still of what is possible. So... Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's uh, there's still interesting possibilities for the future. Well, it makes sense to me then that you're hanging on to all of your your Bibles. You're going to have this nice collection and kind of a progression too. You know right. of how things have changed, and hopefully that gives you a, a clear vision of where things could go. Yeah, and I always tell myself, you know, when things go absolutely rotten, you know, I'll at least have this this collection of yeah. old Bibles <laughs> that I'm sitting on that will be you know, worth millions, no doubt. And yeah. after I'm gone, Lori can auction them all off. But, but until then I need to have these works to refer to. So, well, the holidays are coming up and I love giving books as gifts. Maybe I could give out a nice reader's Bible to a, a friend or family yeah. member. Do you have any Bibles right now that you're, you're, like recommending to oh, others? Oh, sure, yeah. So, like, if you look in the Bible Study magazine that uh, I was mentioned in, uh, it's a great issue. I mean, there's so mm -hmm. much good stuff in here that that I was just so pleased to, to read. And uh, the, one piece in particular about binge reading the Bible in a week 
just kind of blew my <laughs> mind. And it's ever since I, I looked at it, I'm like, okay, I've got to do this. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so they give sort of their recommendations for like the best Bible and a variety of translations, you know? So I think if you were looking for like a gift edition, that would be a great place to go and, and look. And so if you think about, um, you know, Grace, we use the ESV, so they recommend um, an edition of the ESV, the Schuyler Traveris, which is a single column ESV with these fancy sort of decorative raised caps at the beginning of, of paragraphs. So it has a sort of, you know, like a, a decorative quality to it. I mean, very nice gift. Um Obviously, you know, we give a lot of ESV readers Bibles away at Grace, and I think those are always great gifts as well and really economical, too. Um, I'm a big fan of the the slipcased editions of the scripture journals. You know, you can get like an entire New Testament, entire Old Testament, and there's just something really nice about that. Because I always feel like my philosophy of, of a gift is... It's nice to give something that the person who's going to receive it would not get for themselves. Sure. You know, so oftentimes I think we're, we're tempted to go the practical route, but people are capable of being practical on their own. They often won't sort of splurge for the special thing, you know? And so I think either like a, a really specialized design, you know, like, like a multi-volume reader's Bible. That's the kind of thing a lot of people would love, but maybe they would struggle to justify the expense of that when they've already got, you know, as a, a, a regular Bible. Or, you know, in the, the making of the thing, so, so maybe with a, a nice binding or something like that, that again, you've already got a Bible, so you're not going to spend the extra money to get something that's nicely bound in, in, you know, real leather and, you know, and all that, which like, like good genuine leather is never labeled genuine leather. You know, the, <laughs> yeah. if, if it's actually good, it will tell you the kind of leather it is, sure. you know? So, so that's kind of my philosophy is, is think about, do I, do I want innovative design? Do I want innovative materials, whatever it is, but then, then choose something that, that is more, likely to like only be received as a gift. And so a lot of good options out there, but yeah, those are just a few ideas. You know, I, I always go back, like when I'm suggesting Bibles to people and probably the Bible that I've given the most copies away of is the Cambridge Clarion because it's a single column hand size or a really handy edition available in a variety of translations. It has cross-references, verse numbers, and all that, but it is paragraphed single column, so it's pretty readable, and it does a lot of different things pretty well. And I found that uh, a lot of people, you know, who come to me and say, well, I need this, 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 and this in a Bible, and nothing else will do. And I say, well you're willing to make a few compromises have you looked at this and you put a clarion in their hands and they're like oh yeah actually this would work really well for me there's something magical about its proportions so 
Is, if, is that the Bible you preach from? I'm curious. No, it's not. Okay. So, so and that's an interesting question because um, the Bible I preach from for, for years was the Clarion, but I switched a little while ago, and the Bible that I use now is an ESV Reader's Bible. So it's the same Bible that we give people when they join the church. Uh, it's just bound differently. It's it's bound in in goat skin, brown goat skin by R. L. Allen, which is really the 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 publisher that kind of first captured my imagination when I first started writing about this. They were the really the the last man standing in terms of doing fine binding of Bibles. And so for me, it has a sort of special nostalgic value because it's it's a reader's Bible that represents kind of my vision for the future, but it's also bound in this way that sort of sums up the best of, of the past. And so it also happens to be exactly the right size for my sermon outlines. Right. And so whenever I'm preaching, I, you know, I, I will make a little booklet that has my outline in it, and then I have that inside my Bible. And so it makes it really easy to kind of switch back and forth. You know, everything is sort of handy, and I don't have a bunch of papers sticking out and, and all of that. It just keeps it contained. And so as weird as it sounds, having something of the size that fit the size of my sermon outline, and also that fits the size of the pulpit was a big consideration. Um, I used to preach from an ESV heirloom legacy Bible, and it has these nice margins on the sides that represent a classical proportion, kind of a Renaissance page proportion. It's just utterly beautiful. But my pulpit is actually pretty small. The real estate on it is 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 tiny. Mm-hmm. And so I had to think about like what is too big, you know, and, and it, it's fun to preach at other people's churches and they have these massive pulpits and, and it's like, wow, you could just spread out here. You could yeah. have your Bible open and your notes and, and like another book too, you know, look, it's incredible, but, but I don't have that luxury. I have to keep everything right. pretty tidy. And so uh, those practical considerations, you know, they, they factor in. They do matter too. Yeah. Yeah. It's not all aesthetics. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't gone over to an iPad or anything, so you've <laughs> got to admire that. And, uh, I've made do and, uh, found what works for me. So, well, this has been great. I think my last question is for Mark, the pastor again, and you know, all of this, obviously these reader, reader Bibles are to help us read the Bible. And, and we talked about this in that last episode that, the point is to make the book more like a book that we would read and, and make it an easier process. But the point of that, you know, the point of reading the Bible is to connect with God and to encounter God and to ultimately put our faith in him. So say you've, you've got all these Bibles and you know, you're still struggling to, yeah. to read them or what do you do once, once you have these Bibles, how do you encounter God as you're reading through them? Yeah. Okay. So I think, on the question of reading, there's there's a lot of different aspects to that. But yeah, making the Bible more readable is, is one part of that equation. Mm-hmm. Because for years, the way we answered the question, people aren't reading their Bibles, was to retranslate. 
the idea was that they don't read it because the translation is not colloquial enough. And if we made it more fluid, uh, more dynamic, then people would read their Bibles. And my entry into the conversation really came when I, th- I asked myself, like, is that true? You know, because we do read difficult texts, uh, maybe design rather than retranslation might, might be like a, a good factor here, you know, uh, might help with the problem. And I think it does, but it's not the only, you know, tool that we can, can work on. And, and so we are in this weird sort of paradoxical situation where we do have this, this golden age of Bible design and we do have like a proliferation of translations, certainly at least in the English language, the likes of which we've never seen before. And yet, if you ask anybody, is Bible literacy on the increase or the decrease, they're going to tell you it's it's on the decrease. And and even people who are uh, committed Christians are much less knowledgeable about the contents of the Bible than, you know, literally everyone in the past. Mm-hmm. Um Christians don't get references to the Bible when they encounter them in, in literature any longer, the way that, that uh, it used to be a huge advantage. You know, it certainly was for me in, in grad school to have grown up with the Bible because I got all these references that other people did not realize were references to anything. So I think when I look at, okay, so so Bible Study Magazine is a great example where where, you know, there's an issue that talks about Bible design, but mainly it's focused on reading and studying and understanding the Bible. Uh, You look at the Bible project, you know, and the Bible projects uh, podcasts and like, there's a big focus there on understanding the Bible so that you can read it and and grasp its content more. Uh, There's a lot of examples of, of, you know, ministries and efforts like that. Uh, She reads truth and, and other things like that, that are trying to focus on, the reading aspect and the study aspect. And so I think all of that together gives you a wonderful leg up, assuming that you've made a commitment to read and understand the Bible. And, and maybe that's really the, the place where, where you have to focus that, that if that commitment exists and you are determined enough, then you don't need all of those tools really. But if you have that commitment and all these tools exist, then you can really benefit from them, right? And so fundamentally, the, like the reason why we give readers Bibles away at Grace, the, the reason why I write about Bible design and all of that stuff is, is to encourage people to just read the Bible, like read it deeply, read it like a book, immerse yourself in it, be a person of the book. And every tool that exists to help is A-OK in my book. You know, that is a, it is a big task. We need all the help that we can get. And there is a huge amount of help out there if you determine to actually sit down and do it. And so make the decision to do it. Block out some time to give it a try. Don't beat yourself up when you don't meet your goals, but just allow that, that regular time in the word to shape and form you over time and and yeah hopefully 
good Bible design and tools and podcasts yeah. and things like that can can support you along the way. Well, we have you to thank in part for, for your good work. So thanks for all you've done with uh, your Bible Design blog. And we look forward to what's coming. Thanks for listening. If you want to read the feature story from Bible Study Magazine, we'll include a link in the show notes. We hope you'll join us next time. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed the commentary, you can rate us on your favorite podcast app and share episodes with your friends on social media. You can subscribe to the commentary on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. To find out more about us online, visit graceforsufalls.org.